business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's eight minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. We are waiting for our guest, Wayne Curry, to join us. The moment he does, we'll go straight through to him. But in the meantime, as I promised, I want to try to get through all the questions that have come through to me over the last couple of weeks and try to answer as many of them as possible if I feel that they're pertinent to the listenership in general. So what I want to get cracking with now is a question that came in from Ariel about costs on an investment. And what Ariel's question is like this. Hi, Avia. What I want to know is how come I pay more costs if I go into an equity portfolio than I do if I go into a low equity or money market portfolio? Okay. So, Ariel, let's let's break this down for, for everybody simply. There are certain costs that are involved in an investment, whether it's a unit trust, whether it's a retirement annuity, whether it's an endowment, they all have the same basic cost structures. The cost structures can be broken down into three different pillars. The one pillar is the platform itself. Where are you going to to get that investment? Are you buying that investment through an insurance company? Then that insurance company is going to charge you a platform fee for holding and hosting and managing that portfolio for you. The fact that you can go online and find your information, the fact that you can go online and change funds, all that has to be paid for somehow. So there's a platform fee. Then there's something called a fund manager's fee, which is the fund manager itself. So whether it's Alan Gray, whether it's Momentum, whether it's Discovery, whether it's Sunlum, whether it's um, you know any other fund manager they're going to charge a fee for that fund manager to manage that fund. And what does manage the fund mean? It means that when you go, for example, as you said, into an equity portfolio, somebody has to choose those equities. Someone has to look at the stock exchange and say, right, according to the mandate of this fund, where am I going to pick these funds? What shares am I going to put into the portfolio that is going to give the most robust return to the mandate that I have been given. And that that fund manager then charges a fee. And then there's a third set of fees, which is the person who's putting it all together, the broker, the agent, the insurance consultant, the financial planner, whatever terminology you want to use. That person needs, needs to be remunerated for handling the entire process for you. So, Often, what he said is, hold on, why am I paying a financial planner to simply help me fill in a piece of paper and take a piece of paper and scan it and send it off to the insurance company? Well, it's not that simple because often by the time you've come to ticking what type of investment you want want to go into, you've already taken advice from that person. Once you've chosen the funds, you might say, look, I want to be I want to be aggressive and I want to be as forward as I can with the investment because over the long term I want to maximize my returns. That's fine. But who guided you as to which particular funds to choose? 
Do you want a fund of funds? Do you want a pure equity fund? Do you want to go into an ETF? All those type of things, that is somebody that someone needs to be remunerated for that advice. And that's a financial advisor. And there, there's usually two sets of fees. One is could be an upfront fee. And depending on what the investment is, can be in a way up to 1.5% or up to 3%, depending on the type of, type of investment. And that's actually legislated. And then you can get an ongoing fee, um, which is a fee that the financial advisor gets paid usually monthly on the asset value, on the net asset value of that investment on an ongoing basis. So in South Africa, the norm is between half a percent and 1%. If you take that over the year, divided by 12, that's what the financial planner is going to get, going to get paid. Often what you'll see on a investment schedule when you get a quote is you'll suddenly you'll see a, a, a schedule of costs. And when you look at different companies, if you get two or three different costs, you're going to get different looking schedules that show you what the fees are. What the fees need to do is they need to throw you show you these three pillars that I just spoke about, the platform fee, the fund manager fee, and the broker fee, and the commission fee. Often what happens is that the fund manager fee is not shown because the return of the investment that's shown on the quote historically includes that fee. So if they are showing you an 8% return and that fund manager is charging you 1.5% per year, let's say, for example, that should have been a 9.5% return, but they took off the 1.5% to give you that net 8% return. So sometimes that's not shown. And in other companies, it is shown. So when you look at it, you need to know which lines to strip out in order to compare apples with apples. And it's usually it is the broker, the agent, the financial planner fee, and it is the platform fee that you need to look at. And then the fund manager fee is either disclosed or it's built in somewhere else. But technically, it should be disclosed. And that's the way the fee structure works. Now, to come to answering your question, the bottom line is that managing equities is a more expensive exercise than it is managing fixed income. Fixed income text tends to be given a mandate. It tends to be bought and chosen money is put into it or mandate is applied to it, and it doesn't move too much. Whereas with equities, there's constant tweaking, there's constant changing. You need to appreciate that the funds that you see that are allocated, if you look at the percentages, there's many, many little ones that aren't often shown because they're, just, they're, not, they're not material in the bigger picture. But those are tweaked on an ongoing basis. These ongoing mandates, these ongoing decisions, discussions that are taking about how shares are doing and how things are doing. If you just take the corona crisis, COVID-19 that we've just come out of, can you imagine what these guys were going through just before the crisis hit? You know, South Africa was already in ICU when it comes to, you know, the, the economy. All of a sudden, you get hit by COVID-19 and these guys are saying, wow, we were hoping that things would come right over time. And now we've got the world shutting down. How do we protect ourselves? What do we do? What defensive positions do we take? 
And these are the things that had to happen when you're looking at an equity portfolio. If you're looking at cash, it was quite simple. Interest rate rates rose and rose and rose, and they rose to record highs. So all of a sudden, sorry, my other way around, interest rates dropped and dropped and dropped, and they dropped to record lows. And all these people, all a lot of the fund managers knew is that this was happening in order to ease the burden on the populace. And the moment the economy would start to come right, inflation would kick in, interest rates would start to rise, and it would balance itself out. So that in a very broad brushstrokes, I'm getting too technical about correlations and um, other things is, is really what it's what it's all about. The next question that actually just come in now is what on earth is going on, on with the markets? Well, I'd love to say that uh, Wayne McCurry is going to be joining us shortly. And um, he did confirm literally 20 minutes before the show that he would come on by email. And uh, I don't know, maybe he got stuck with something. Um, really what's happening at the moment is that we're still coming out of the COVID-19 sort of confusion where the spending power of people is coming back up to full tilt. We've got inflation that's starting to come in, which is causing a, a challenge because it's pushing interest rates up, which is making money more expensive. Also, we've got uncertainty when it comes to certain commodities. We've got uh, the cyclical commodity cycle is now on the way down, and that's putting pressure on those um, shares. And those are usually a big holding when it comes to fund managers. The other thing is that we cannot ignore is what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. You know, we all thought that it was factored in, it would it would, it would, would go down and, um, you know, we, we would sort of be in the trenches for a while and then somehow it would sort itself out and the economy would come back together. What has transpired is that the Russian economy has basically collapsed. And the Russian economy is really, really on the back foot. Something that was at times held together with uh, duct tape and spit has really come uh, come un, un, unstuck. And it's really, really causing a lot of pressure on the world markets, together with the cost of grain, which will inf- impact food prices. So until that uncertainty settles, you're going to have a lot of uncertainty in the markets with people not quite sure where to spend the money. The other thing that you're having is you're having mass mobilizations of armies in the in NATO and America, even though it's not really spoken about, definitely moving uh, troops up onto the Polish border. And that is creating a lot of uncertainty in that part of the world. So investment over there is again iffy, even though today I saw South African property company did buy a so South African property company did buy a shopping mall in Poland, but be that as it may, everything is really, really on the back foot at the moment. Before we go to the next question, let's take a quick break. I um, need to go to the shops. We'll back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. On the line with us is Wayne McCurry. Wayne, welcome to High FM. Yes, thank you very much. Sorry about the delay. No um, computers, problem. Computers aren't ready to take over the world yet. <laughs> Wayne, welcome once again. Let's jump straight into it. Let's take a quick look as you wind down in South Africa towards the end of the year. How is the world economy looking at the moment? 
I think we're going in for a mild recession worldwide, maybe not in South Africa, because we've been in a semi-recession here for so many years. It doesn't really make much difference here. But global, globally, Europe, UK, USA, probably a negative growth for a quarter or two next year. Uh, Chinese growth slowing down probably below 3%, to be honest. I mean, this zero COVID policy is actually killing the economy. And I see there's lots of talk now about re-looking at this policy. But we've heard that story before from China. So unfortunately, the global economy is not looking that great. And of course, it's as a result of higher interest rates stroke higher inflation. So that's really what's happening over there. What is the impact of the war in between Russia and Ukraine, or the invasion, I should say more correctly, of Ukraine by Russia? Look, by and large, other than very specifically food prices and oil prices, it's a relatively limited effect on the global economy. In other words, the inflation and the interest rates have a far more profound effect on what's going to happen than the war, uh, the invasion in Ukraine. In other words, if Russia wasn't a big oil producer and Ukraine wasn't a big food producer, it would have, quite frankly, virtually no effect. Of course, we assume that it's not going to escalate into something more dramatic, which I, I don't think it will. And, you know, we go through this fairly regular. You can think about the Vietnam War, the Gulf the Gulf Wars, the wars in many, many, in a sort of not not of the scale of the First or Second World War, but there's been many, many regional wars uh, over, over the decades. And ultimately, they don't have a huge effect. And they, quite frankly, don't have any lasting effect on the global economy and global markets, et cetera. But of course, right now with oil and, well, heating oil in Europe in particular, and crude oil and food prices, there is an effect on it. But as I said, there are far bigger forces at play here than the invasion. So Wayne, going forward, we know that, you know, coming out of the COVID crisis, where really the world economy shut down, things have got back to normal, maybe a little bit more than normal with airports jammed, not being able to get a flight, flights very expensive and still being full. Um, the economy is coming back, mines coming back online at, at, at full steam. What is the inflation outlook for the for South Africa and for the world in 2023? Yeah, look, inflation is going to plummet next year. It's genuinely going to fall materially next next year for, for two reasons. The first reason is pure statistics, is you start to measure off the higher base the more and more you go into into the next year. So if we take a if we take industrial commodities, which is essentially copper, you know, the moment you start to measure off the higher base. So in other words, now these are just index levels. There's, there's not, it's not a dollar price or a rand price. It's an index price, but it is it is a dollar index. So in April this year, the dollar index peaked at 210 points. It's currently 139 points. So it's already going negative. Now, in April next year, even if it stays at 139, you're measuring off a far higher base. So statistically, it goes negative. And it's exactly the same for Brent when you start measuring it 
you know, $92 versus $120, and it's exactly the same for the food index. So sometime from April, May, June next year, food, oil, industrial commodities, copper, will all be minus 30%, minus 50% negative. So that's the first factor. And that's, I mean, that's purely statistics, but, but the prices are falling, and that's a very important point. The second thing is nothing sorts out prices and demand like a recession. And as I said, I think there is a recession coming, and that will take the wage inflation pressure out of the system. So we could see in America inflation well below 3% in the second half of next year, and in South Africa probably below 5 or even below 4%. So in other words, this inflation is a spike other than the extent. I mean, the extent, how high it's got is, is abnormal. But the fact that there's an inflation cycle and that inflation has been so subdued for so long, the fact that there's a cycle is not unusual at all. In fact, what was unusual was that for 10 years we didn't have inflation in the world. I'm not talking South Africa. I'm talking about the major economies. There was no inflation. So now we're returning more to normality, and it's a very strong theme that I've been talking about for a long time now. The period 2009 through to a year ago, you had abnormally low inflation and abnormally low interest rates, which is absolute food for share markets. Share markets love uh, low interest rates and low inflation and a growing economy. So the, the equity returns we saw for 10 years or so up until a year ago were, in fact, abnormally good. So now we're returning to a more normalized uh, share market. And as a result of that, we've had this bear market that we've experienced, even though I think the bear market is, in fact, over. But certainly the returns from equity for the next 10 years are going to be probably less than half of the returns we've had from equity for the previous 10 years. But Wayne, with a very low inflation cycle and therefore a low interest rate cycle, should that not fare well for equity portfolios? From this level, probably yes, because the next move in interest rates is down. But understand when interest rates go down, they're not going anywhere close to the low levels that we saw for the period 2010 through to a year ago, including the low interest rates we saw from COVID. Both those events, the global financial crisis, which led to the low interest rates and the COVID experience were abnormal. You know, they're not, these are not normal events. So even though interest rates in America are, are going to fall, and they'll probably start falling between, I don't know, September and December, fourth quarter, last uh, next next year understand they're not going back to anywhere close to where they were before that i mean before that they were effectively zero you know they're going back to two percent from the current four four and a half percent so they are going to fall but they're going to fall back into a more normalized trading range of between let's say let's say one and a half and three and a half percent through a cycle Whereas from 2008 through to last year, they were effectively zero. And, and, and that's why uh, I think the equity markets will show a far more subdued return over the next 10 years complete compared to the previous 10 years. But falling interest rates over the next year, 18 months, 
is actually quite good for share markets. So I think this little rally that we're seeing now could, in fact, continue of share markets. But then once we, I suppose, through that period of falling interest rates in eighteen in a year to 18 months' time, we're going to see a, a, a significantly lower return than in the previous 10 years. In other words, if you take U.S. shares, I mean, they show double-digit returns for 10 years. You know, we're going to get single-digit returns because that's that's more normalized, uh, a, a more normalized type of return, I would think, rather than what we've seen, as I've said, over the last 10 years. Yeah, because returns the last, I mean, 2022 has been a very tumultuous yes. year for returns. It's been very unsettling. Um, yes. I was just looking at returns today in the Middle East, and it's just red all over the show and very difficult to sort of guide your way forward. But I think it's a, it's a case of, as we say in South Africa, fuss bait and let, uh, let the interest rate sort itself out and then commodities will come back online. Correct. And that actually bodes quite well for South Africa on, on the longer term. So what we've had was really a absolutely dominant dollar and dominant U.S. tech shares. And, and they related to each other for the previous 10 years. And we've had a very poor cycle for emerging markets like South Africa. Now, these also go in very long cycles. And, I mean, people must remember these, uh, these, these cycles. The 90s was terrible for emerging markets and currencies like South Africa. From 2000 to 2008, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, people forget this. Our share market outperformed the U.S. share market by 350% in dollar terms. And over that 10-year period, then right. since then, you know, it's since then exacerbated by the lost years in South Africa under the Zuma administration. We had a terrible 10 years that the, the you know, commodity shares um, didn't, do, didn't do well. The RAND did badly. Our economy did badly. But I think the next 10 years might, in fact, be a reversal of that trend. And although it won't clearly be as strong as what we saw 2001 through to 2008, I think we could get a bit of a resurgence of emerging markets for the next decade where they actually outperform. So, I mean, and I know it sounds outlandish to say it, but I wouldn't be surprised in 10 years' time if the Rand's 18, 18 to 20 against the dollar. It wouldn't actually surprise me. I think it's, it's a fairly reasonable outcome to make because these big cycles are exactly that. They're cyclical, and we've just experienced a very long, call it down cycle for emerging markets in the RAND, and an up cycle for the dollar and the U.S. economy and tech shares. And these things reverse out. So I think the next 10 years, on a comparative basis, emerging markets actually might do quite well. So you reckon and of the course, RAND's going to actually hold stable as to where it is yeah. now in the long term? Yes, I, I think so as well. And of course, the other big favor supporting that argument is that the commodity companies, after spending masses and masses of money between 2006 and about 2012, 2013, they, they in fact spent so much money they almost went bankrupt in 2015. I think because they didn't spend, because they didn't spend that, because they were almost bankrupt, they haven't spent any more capital expenditure since then. So when their world economy does start to revive a little bit on the back of lower interest rates next year, there's no new supply of commodities coming onto the market. So we could actually see quite resilient prices for coal and iron ore and platinum group metals, etc. And that's very good for countries like South Africa.
Wayne, we are running out of time on this particular Zoom. Do you mind if we take a quick break and would you rejoin? Because that's exactly what I want to discuss with you after the break. This is RV on Business. I just want to make sure that Wayne McCurry has um, got the, the link so he can come back on. Was we, what, what, what we, um, one second. I want to, um, because what I want to discuss with Wayne is exactly that is the two shares I want to discuss is, is Tungela Resources which has become a darling of the market over the last while, done incredibly well, and then there's been a huge sell-off, but it's still sitting very strongly in the buy section. And the other one is Discovery. Discovery really seems to have come off quite a bit. There were, there were hassles with different legal issues. They've really got through that now. The results were great as usual, and yet the, the, the share is not reflecting the buoyancy in the market. And my feeling is maybe it has to do with the fact that the bank is very new and the bank is still finding its feet. And until the market is certain that the bank will become entrenched and become a dominant market player like every other part of their business, then the share is going to be sort of um, in the doldrums until it comes through. But, you know, let's get it from the expert himself who's just joined us again, Wayne McCurry. Give her one moment for technology to do its bit. Sorry about the silence. Great. Wayne, you with us? Yes, I'm here. Great. Wayne, let's jump into it because, as usual, we're running against the clock. Tungela Resources, the thermal coal darling of the market of the last couple of months, did extremely well, came in from nowhere, um, sort of shot the lights out, come off a little bit. What's its story? Is it a stayer or is it just a... Yeah, to dip its toes in the market. Well, look, it had a, a quite frankly a lucky time in that the listing happened sort of as you got the crunch of uh, higher oil prices assisted it, and you had the war going on, and there was a shortage of of uh, of I suppose of of energy in 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 total, and of course the initial listing price that it came onto the market at was extremely low because then no one was interested in coal. Now, over time, the use of coal will halve. You know, it might take 10 years because it takes time to swap across, but, you know, coal is, in fact, you know, going to be used less and less and less going forward. And for that very reason, another factor which really pushed the Tangela share price was that, no one has invested in coal for the last 10 years because of the green energy drive and the companies didn't get financed. But of course, the, the offtake of coal hasn't really slowed down because of the factors that I've mentioned. So, I mean, as you've said, the share did phenomenally well. It has come off. For the shorter term, it might not be a bad buy at this level, but personally, I wouldn't put my money into it. Because, uh, you know, as we've spoken about earlier on, we're going to get some sort of economic slowdown next year, which generally is not good for commodity prices. So I, I would possibly wait before another, I don't know, three months, six months, uh, before I would buy any uh, mining or commodity share, let alone Tungela, because we know over time, you know, in 10 or 15 years' time, the demand for coal will more than likely halve, if not more, because there is this massive, massive drive driven by the private sector, even in South Africa, to go to clean energy. 
And so I, I think even though it's taken a lot longer to get going than what a lot of people anticipated, there is literally a tsunami coming of green energy, both in South Africa. I mean, there could be 200 billion rand being invested in solar and wind energy and other forms of power, maybe hydrogen, something like that, in South Africa over the next couple of years. And exactly the same things happening worldwide. So maybe the, the demand for coal will actually fall quicker than what even I'm saying. I mean, I, I just said here in Israel so practically where, uh, you know, the electric vehicles are becoming the absolute norm. These charging stations are popping up everywhere um, and there aren't coal-powered po- um, um, uh, stations. So it's quite interesting how the energy is actually generated. Wayne, let's go on to a another, I suppose, darling of the market, but for a long time, a share that's been a bit tumultuous, the Discovery share, um, you know, yes. share that sort of burst onto the market on the back of the first RAND group and slowly grew its own legs and has really become uh, a, a true South African company. It came off quite strongly two, three years ago. It's been up and down. What is your feeling about, you know, the, the share at the moment? Well, look, I mean, the share price hit, uh, what is it, 180 rand or something and came back virtually to 100 and has rallied a little bit since then. Right. And the reason, look, this is an extremely good business, but to me the negative of discovery is that they expand too quickly into too many areas that chew up cash flow. So in other words, on discovery, there's never any positive cash. There's never a big dividend payer. And I think the market in this type of environment is certainly looking more and more for cash flow generation and dividends rather so than expansion. So, I mean, as, as, as you well know, discoveries, I suppose you could almost say throughout the whole world just about, and the new initiatives that they have chew up a massive amount of cash. I mean, they've gone into the bank, yeah, Discovery Bank in South Africa, and this is a highly competitive field. You know, there are well-established big players with very deep pockets already in the field in South Africa. And Discovery Bank, man, I might be wrong here, but I think they've either had so far five or seven billion rands worth of losses and probably an equal amount in capital that they've invested into the bank. And of course, I mean, in banking, I mean, I've been in banking or on the fringes of banking essentially my whole life. The only way you make money in banking is by lending out money. And to lend out money, you've got to have capital. So if you want to really take on the big players here, you know, you've got to find 50, 100 billion rands worth of capital so you can, so you can lend out um, you know, and get, grow your book strongly. And that's the one thing, as I mentioned earlier on, that discovery is short of is capital because they've always got these new expansions on it. And I think the market is now sitting back and waiting specifically for Discovery Bank for it to turn, you know, uh, profitable and I suppose even more importantly, cash flow positive. Because, I mean, Discovery is a big company. We all know that. But they've put a lot of money into the bank uh, since its in, in inception. Of course, that takes away from from dividends. 
yeah, ultimately that's what it is. That's maybe it's just a case of allowing it time to to found its feet. Um, Wayne, one of the listeners just reminded me, you mentioned earlier about um, commodities, most, uh, specifically platinum. Is it an area that one should look at investing into platinum shares going forward? Yes. I, I, I've no doubt about that at all, in fact. Now, whether you buy today or in six months' time, because I still think there's some downside, uh, as I think there's downside for all commodity shares going into a global slowdown type of recession. But effectively, any weakness in, in platinum shares, I mean, I know they. if you take Anglo-American platinum, I mean, that's fallen from, uh, where was the price? About 2500 to, you know, 1400 and it's bounced to about 1700 now. I think there's a bit more downside on these shares. But if I'm right, and there is, you should be buying them strongly. And to be honest, if you take a longer-term five-year-plus view, you can even buy them at today's prices, even though you might have, you know, a, an underperformance in the shorter term. I actually think that the whole transition to energy is is obviously, quite frankly, still in its infancy. I mean, there's still so many new technologies that are going to come on. So personally, I'm not convinced that batteries is the answer. I personally think fuel cells powered by, by by PGMs will be a major, major player in this market because, I mean, battery technology we all know very well and it's great, but you've got to charge those batteries for almost as long as what it is, what you can drive the car for, and that's a scenario which you have limited range, and that's a serious deficiency of batteries. And even though the technology will change, it's pure physics that, you know, unless you've got a cable at home, the thickness of your arm, you can't put power into a battery any quicker than the, than the power supply you've actually got. And I think that will be an inhibiting factor over time for batteries. And the technology of fuel cells is well established. I mean, obviously, there are still a lot that's got to be, a lot of work that's got to be done in that to make it, I suppose, in, in a sufficiently small enough size to get it into motor vehicles or trucks and that. But that's coming as with any technology it will arrive. And maybe even if you can transport and store hydrogen safely, you know, maybe maybe the future for green is actually hydrogen and not batteries. So uh, I'm very positive about platinum shares longer term. Great. And Wayne, maybe let me just share something with you that I heard uh, around the dinner table the other day, that one of the biggest producers of soft drinks in the world has just struck a massive deal with Tesla for trucks. They're going to be the first big company who's ordered a significant amount of vehicles from Tesla, and they're going to be starting to turn their fleet over to electric. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how that goes from a pure management point of view and from a reliability point of view. You know, when you're putting weight on those trucks and you're running them, you know, hours and hours every single day, let's yep. see how it all pans out. Anyway, yeah. Wayne, we're up against time. As always, thank you so much. And if I don't speak Asia, to you before you. the end of the year, I hope you have a, a you know peaceful and a well-deserved rest. And we'll catch up early next year. Yeah. Thanks, Avi. Thanks so much. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next year.